Hey, welcome to today's pod. In today's pod, I'm going to be talking about seven reasons why I believe that Jesus actually resurrected or subtitled Ghosts Don't Cook Breakfast. I'll explain what I mean by that later on. Christianity is full of some incredibly bold claims that mess with the boundaries of physics and science. If you think about the creation story or the flood or the virgin birth, they're all quite tricky for our rational minds to get our heads around, to say the least. There's a supernatural element to those stories, right? Right at the top of the list of these incredibly bold claims is the resurrection account. Now, it's carried in all four of the Gospels and is absolutely central to the Christian faith. Because without the resurrection, there is no risen Jesus. And without the risen Jesus, there is no legitimate claim to have conquered death, which is a big part of Christian belief. Without Christ's resurrection, we would have no salvation from sin and no hope for our own future resurrection. So I would even say without resurrection, there is no Christian faith. So let's read the book of John, John's account of the resurrection story and what happened afterwards in John chapter 20. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. All right, here I go. Early on a Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John, by the way, he, always he often refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that little inclusion. I actually think it's just a statement of fact, but it is funny to imagine that they were in some kind of race to get there first and John's just letting you know, you know what, I'm just saying, I beat Peter, that's all I'm saying, fact. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had been covered, uh, while the cloth that had covered jesus head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in went in and he saw and believed for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said jesus must rise from the dead then they went home mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept she stopped stooped and looked in she saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, said Jesus. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father. But go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message that's from john chapter 20 
verses 1 all the way through to 18 and I'm reading it in the New Living Translation. So here are seven reasons why I believe that Jesus has actually resurrected. I'm going to be referencing some of those uh, moments that we just read. Number one, the empty tomb. We read about the empty tomb right at the beginning of that. That's what's remarkable is Jesus was buried in the tomb and when when Mary and the other disciples go and run on Sunday morning as this tradition... When 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 Mary and the other two disciples run to the tomb, it's empty. The stone has been rolled away. There's no body. Okay, I think the empty tomb is a significant reality in the resurrection story, and according to archaeologists, the tombstone that would cover the tomb could weigh between one to two tons, and so one or two men could move it into into place, as indicated in Matthew chapter twenty-seven. In fact, Joseph of Arimathea rolled the stone to cover the tomb. It says that in Matthew twenty-seven and Mark fifteen. And to close the to close the tomb, the stone would have to have been rolled down like a groove. At, at a decline so that it could rest at the entrance and so to open it again you'd have to roll the stone probably back up a slight incline at times uh the the groove was slightly sloped and not level and rolling the one to two ton stone uphill without being seen whilst overpowering roman guards and removing the body would have been very unlikely i just i just don't buy it Finding a stone entrance to a Jewish tomb was rare in biblical times, says one commentator. This is because for most of the Jewish tombs, the doors to the tombs had certain types of hinges. But in Jesus' case, they sealed the tomb with a stone to make the burial site more permanent. They also did this to secure the body since the chief priests feared that Jesus' disciples would come and steal the body. You can read that in another gospel account. They were afraid that the the disciples would come and rob the grave and then say that Jesus had risen. So they did everything they could to prevent somebody coming into the tomb and doing that. Put a heavy stone in front, and they put it uh, to Roman guards. The guards at Jesus' tomb are Roman officers under the authority of the Roman governor. Pilate had placed them at the disposal of the Jewish authorities, it says that in Matthew chapter 27, who wished to ensure that the tomb remained under guard. They feared that the disciples might steal the body and claim that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so it's unclear how much the guards saw and heard on resurrection Sunday. But what we do know is that if they heard the angel's words and realized the body which was now missing from the tomb had risen, then they knew something extraordinary was occurring. And it it warranted enough to report. It warranted a report to the Jewish authorities. So basically once story goes in matthew that once the um jewish uh, once the roman guards knew that jesus body had gone they reported it to the jewish authorities and the jewish authorities um make a bribe them basically to say don't say that the body had been resurrected tell the story that the body had been stolen that's what they were bribed into saying so that's in i believe that's in matthew's account but as we believe the tomb had been unsealed jesus is risen there's an extraordinary like supernatural event that's taken place that's what i believe number one i believe jesus actually resurrected because the empty tomb proved that he raised from the dead number two the folded grave clothes 
the folded grave clothes. That detail that's there in verse 6 is in there for a reason it's a really interesting little piece of scriptural detail so there's no sign of a smash and grab of jesus body there's no sign of a violent struggle there's no sign of the embalming process or anything like that on the face cloth which you know would have probably made it a little bit stiff and to be honest a little bit manky because of the the kind of a treatment that they would have placed on those cloths but the face cloth is folded as if Jesus is done with it. Think about it. If you're going to rob a grave, overpower two Roman soldiers, wrestle a two-ton, one-ton, two-ton stone out of the way, do you have time to fold a face cloth? It's pretty amazing. Um, I think this is an incredible piece of detail, and for me, it proves that Jesus rose from the dead, folded his face cloth, folded the face cloth, and left. Maybe. No. Why is that face cloth folded? Such an interesting detail. The body's no longer there. It's just so interesting, isn't it? And I believe that that speaks of the risen Christ. He's left. He's no longer here. Number three. The holy women eyewitnesses. The holy women eyewitnesses are further proof that the Gospels are accurate historical records because if the accounts had been made up, no ancient author would have used women for witnesses to Christ's resurrection. Women at this time were second-class citizens in Bible times. Their testimony was not even allowed in court. If uh, I've done some teaching at KC where you know, if a, a man was legitimately allowed to divorce his wife, if she burnt his breakfast, man, wow, that is harsh and really really like not okay their testimony was not even allowed in court and yet the bible says that jesus first appeared to mary magdalene and to the other holy women even the apostles didn't believe mary when she told them that the tomb was empty but jesus had a special respect for women all throughout his ministry and honored them as the first eyewitnesses to his resurrection the male gospel writers had no choice but to report the embarrassing act of God's favour because it was how it happened. This kind of detail is 100% accurate with the way that Jesus included women in his ministry. He honoured women. He respected women when other people didn't. He advocated for them for justice. He included them in miracles. He saw them as leaders and carriers of his message. Like, it's just so consistent. It's it's t it's just an incredible piece of detail. Why would you appear to women if you're trying to propagate? Like, say you wanna, say you wanna, you're lying about something. Why would you tell a woman who's already difficult to believe? You want to tell somebody who's easy to believe. What would be easy if if it was a lie? You tell a really well-respected Roman officer, or you tell a really well-respected Jewish authority figure. You would not tell a woman. So I love this detail because even though it makes it in one sense more difficult to believe, it's totally authentic and in, in keeping with the way Jesus treated women. So it's true to who Jesus is, is what I'm saying. Number four, reasons why I believe that Jesus actually resurrected was the change in the disciples' courage. If you've been through a tough time, psychologically mentally maybe physically you know how difficult it is to have a complete change of character it very very rarely happens it's got to be something seismic or or strong or or, or challenging we often see it in negative terms people are negatively affected by a trauma and they become like they're not themselves anymore they've, they've changed something difficult has happened has take, taken place and they've become really dif different in their personality they've been deeply affected by something that's happened 
if you want to see a change of character in in a good way look at the person of peter before jesus uh, when after jesus was uh, crucified and they buried him peter denied jesus in a public space with swears in front of lots and lots of people he's like i never knew the guy i don't even know who he is even though he spent three years of his life following jesus the disciples at this time between you know between um the the crucifixion of jesus and the resurrection the the disciples are in limbo that they're actually in hiding they're probably in fear for their lives because you know they've they've been a part of something that was pretty revolutionary and and went against the roman and the jewish systems and so they're in trouble but after the resurrection jesus jesus appears to all of his disciples and even cooks them breakfast at one point and uh, we're going to read that in a second which many believe was a demonstration of Jesus proving his actual resurrection presence. He tells them, just Jesus, to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit. And when this happens, Peter is powerfully uh, affected by the Holy Spirit and starts preaching courageously in a totally different way than he did before to a massive group of people in a public space full of confidence full of boldness like super direct message right just amazing what a transformation so let's think about it people rarely lie to get into trouble right they lie usually to get out of trouble that's what i did when i was a kid let me lie to get out of trouble i don't lie to get into more trouble and people don't die for stuff that they know to be a lie. So why would Peter start boldly proclaiming Jesus as Messiah when he knew it would likely get him killed or at least persecuted? And I believe that changing Peter was because he had reconnected with the risen Jesus and been restored by Jesus in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, Jesus recommissions Peter. He creates a moment for them to have a one-to-one and he asks him three times, do you love me? It's exactly the number of times that Peter denied Jesus, by the way. And um, he recommissions him and he says, follow me, feed my lambs. Basically, like you wandered off from your original purpose. You denied me, but I'm giving you a shot, giving you a chance to come back and do what I asked you to do in the first place. Beautiful. And Peter's never the same after that because he saw Pete, he saw Jesus before he was resurrected and now he's seen him after he's resurrected. And he's like, right, now I believe. I get it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I can't deny it. You've changed my life. I'm going to do what you asked me to do, what you commanded me to do. And I really believe that the change in Peter was because he had reconnected with Jesus and because he'd been recommissioned and because he's, he, 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 Jesus has shown up for him personally and restored him like made that relationship reconnected again and healed him and and and, allow, and allowed him to to receive like that forgiveness i think that's so powerful in our story with jesus that we meet him for ourselves that we connect with him for ourselves and that we allow him to restore the broken parts of us that, that don't make sense or that are really really screwed up all right number five <clears throat> the changed lives of james the brother of jesus and others too changed lives are yet another proof of the resurrection james the brother of jesus was openly skeptical that jesus was a messiah all the way through jesus earthly life later james became a courageous leader of the jerusalem church amazing guy his nickname was camel knees because he used to pray so much he had calluses on his knees man he was a g even being stoned to death for his faith why 
The Bible says the risen Christ appeared to him. What a shock to see your own brother alive again after you knew he was dead. James and the apostles were effective missionaries because people could tell that these men had seen and touched the risen Christ. With such zealous eyewitnesses, the early church absolutely blew up, spreading west from Jerusalem to Rome and to beyond. And for 2,000 years, encounters with the resurrected Jesus have changed lives. Amazing. Number six, the public appearances of Jesus. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he was resurrected, says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He cooked breakfast for his disciples in public groups. A crowd of people saw him ascend to heaven as he said he would do. And that after that, nobody saw him again. That's exactly what he said would happen. Then Jesus appears to his disciples in an upper room and to another group on the road to Emmaus. So Jesus appears to over 500 people. Could it have been a mass hallucination? Well, I did a little bit of research on mass hallucinations, you know, where it's kind of a, is it a psychological thing? Hallucinations really are, according to the American, Psycholo American Psychological Association, are not based on reality, but they are also highly individual. So you and I could be standing in front of a shared experience, but have individual perceptions of that shared experience. So the likelihood of 500 people um, having a shared hallucination is absolutely so infinitesimally small. Um, what's likely happened is they actually saw Jesus risen. Oh, I believe that Jesus was demonstrating his risenness by appearing to and communicating to his believers. He was giving them courage. He was confirming his resurrection and he was like giving them like boldness to crack on and do what he'd asked them to do. He was cooking them food and eating with them to prove that he was not a ghost or a spirit or a hallucination. Because as we know, ghosts don't make breakfast. That's an absolute, absolute fact, isn't it? Ghosts do not make breakfast. All right, number seven, the conversion of Paul. Paul, or he was called Saul of Tarsus, is one of the most drastically changed lives in the Bible. It's like a very public account in the book of Acts. As Saul of Tarsus, he was an aggressive persecutor of the early church. And when Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road, really like extreme, like, why are you persecuting me, says Jesus to Paul in a public vision like really strong vision that paul has and it's like he's changed he becomes blind for a time and um, he's asked, he has to be like rescued and brought to a christian family's house and they pray for him to receive his sight back it's a really strong like jesus going hey stop persecuting me it's a really incredible story Paul became Christianity's most determined missionary and he endured five floggings like those were severe beatings, three beatings, three shipwrecks, a stoning, poverty and years of ridicule, ridicule and years of ridicule. Finally, the Roman Empire, no, finally, the Roman Emperor Nero had Paul beheaded because the apostle refused to deny his faith in Jesus. What could make a person willingly accept such hardships and persecutions christians believe that the conversion of paul came about because he had encountered jesus christ who had risen from the dead similar to what peter had encountered i've seen you with my own eyes i've encountered you i've, I've not you're not just a theory you're not just something on a page you're not an idea i've met you for myself it's a big big part of people converting into christians i could talk about you know got questions a great resource reckons that um 
Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry, basically prophecies or, or foretellings from the Old Testament. Jesus ended up fulfilling them in the New Testament. Became me like I've come to do what I said I was going to do. You know, that's the idea of that. I could point to the healings and to the miracles that have happened for people down through the centuries and also for people in our community at Kingdom Company. My son, when he was a baby, was healed of a really serious hernia. My friend prayed for him when he was little. It was like a really severe little purple lump. And when we got home after she prayed for him, it was gone. Nowhere to be seen. Amazing. And me and Claire prayed for somebody who had a, a, a back kept coming out a joint and she was in real pain. Like a coccyx kept clicking, she used to describe it as. And we prayed for her and she never had any problems with her back ever since. Amazing. That's just a, a little taste, a tiny little taste of what Jesus can do through healing, his healing power. Because he rose again, because he conquered death, scripture teaches us that we can pray for healing and people will recover and become well. I could also talk about the fact that Christianity has spread across the world, like outside of a tribe and a denomination, outside of a people group or an ethnic group. Christianity crosses all kinds of divides, just as Jesus said it would. Um. It's still expanding after hundreds of years of persecution um, and it's not racially defined. And according to Open Doors, there are over 96 million Christian persecuted Christians in China right now, together with 312 million persecuted Christians across the world. Just as Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. You're going to be persecuted for my name's sake, but I'm going to be with you. The church continues to spread and continues to thrive. So what should we do with all of this? If you've, you know, if you've tracked this far into the pod, nice one, nearly done. But what should we do with these reasons that we're, okay, so Jesus is resurrected. What should we do with it? C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, talks, uh, says this amazing quote. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon and you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The great thing about the resurrection is it proves that Jesus is who he says he is, he was who he says he was, and he will be what he says he will be. So that that causes us, we've got a decision to make. And um, let's look back at some of those characters that we've looked at in uh, in this pod. Maybe you're like Peter, maybe you've betrayed Jesus, or you feel like you've let him down, or you've been too bad, or you're too far gone. Jesus wants to bring her, like a, a, a connect with you again. Like he doesn't want you to be on the outside like feeling too bad he wants to bring you in and connect with you in the same way that he did with peter or maybe you feel like mary like your heart's breaking and nobody believes you like you you, you know you feel like you're, you're an outsider and, and, and nobody's listening to you you've got some things that you feel and care about deeply with but jesus wants to advocate for you he wants to stand with you he wants to let you know that he's with you he's not gonna like embarrass you or or throw you away because other people maybe have done that to you maybe you feel like thomas or james thomas the disciple often called like the doubting thomas which is a bit unfair he only really asked for what a lot of other people wanted which was show me the proof maybe you're like that show me the proof 
like James, you've been around Jesus-y things. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you've been around church or Christians and you're like, show me the proof. Jesus wants to show you his proof. He wants to show you and encounter you, like, like meet you. Come and meet you personally. You know, that's how a lot of these people came to believe is they saw the evidence and then they believed. They had an encounter, like a like a meeting, a special personal meeting with Jesus for themselves. And maybe you feel like the disciples do, like a lot of them were like one part of the scripture says, We're not our hearts burning, like we knew something's up. I know I've got something to do. God Jesus has commissioned them to go into all the world and tell tell everybody the good news. And you need courage to do what you know he's asking you to do. Jesus wants to give you that courage today. He wants to meet with you and look you in the eye and say, you can do this. You can do what I've asked you to do. I'll never leave you. I'll never I'll never walk away from you. I've given you my Holy Spirit. Go for it. And maybe you feel like Paul, like you are a machine. Like people say you're too much. You're full on. You're, you're, you're so too aggressive. You're, you're always on it. You've got maybe you've got like a, a like a really smart intellectual edge, but you've got a leadership edge. You're bored with things the way they are. You want things to change. You're disruptive. You've got stuff that you want to get moving. You you you, you can't stand the wishy washy stuff that's happening around you. Maybe your heart is hard like Paul's was. You're so full of like anger at the way things are, or you've been let down, or you're just hyper aggressive, or whatever it might be. Let Jesus flip that for good. Like that's his speciality. That's the whole thing about resurrection. Let's turn something that is evil and painful and horrific and flip it round for the good. Not just of you personally, but the people around about you in your life. So I want to pray for you. If you identify with like Peter or Mary or Thomas or the disciples or James or Paul, let me pray for you that Jesus will visit you today and show himself to you in a way that you can't possibly deny. I get it, man. If you've got doubts, so have I. It's possible to have faith and doubts simultaneously. But what we shouldn't do, especially if we're people who follow Jesus, we shouldn't pretend we haven't got them. We should bring them to Jesus and say, I believe, but I also have doubts. That's cool. That's absolutely fine. Let Jesus show himself strong to you today let me pray right here we go jesus thank you for what you did on the cross thank you for your resurrection power which is available for us now because of your love and because of your mercy towards us and i pray for everybody your lord you know how they're wired you know their personality you know their experiences you know the in church and out of church you know their jobs their hopes and dreams their health the things that have happened to them that shouldn't have happened to them and the things that they want to do and the things that you want to do in their lives. Jesus, I pray today that you'd meet them right where they're at. Open your heart now and just ask Jesus to meet you right where he's at. Meet them, Jesus, right where they're at with their questions, with their doubts, with their life experiences. Show yourself strong in their lives. Do incredible things in them and through them and help them to make just help them to believe move make a movement of a belief towards you today show them proof of you who you are and how much you love them and how much you love the people of this world and i pray this in your strong name jesus the name above all the names that have come before all the caesars all the popes all the presidents you're the one in charge of everything you're above it all so we say thank you because you can do it and i ask you to do it amen all right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the pod today. 
you know, why don't you go ahead, if this has been helpful to you, just subscribe to the pod or forward it to a friend who you might think needs some help or some encouragement today. That would be great. We also have some stuff over on YouTube, uh, which we're starting to really motor on with. Like and subscribe that. Send that to your friends if you found it helpful. And follow us on the socials, Instagram particularly. We're like pretty on Instagram most days. And if you, if there's any questions you have, anything we can help you with, or if you want to ask to talk about something on a pod, um, send us a direct message over on uh, Instagram. We'd love to speak to you. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great rest of the day.